Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, we're going to rip right in. Is that okay? Oh, actually, I do do like to... um, I don't know if you've observed, I've got this habit of reading little clippings. Listen to this. A man climbed, this was out of the Times newspaper, a man climbed onto a cathedral altar after pulling down his trousers, broke a crucifix and punched a 70-year-old woman in the face. (laughs) Nicholas Courtney, 34 of Exeter, claimed he was overcome by the urge to give everything to God. In Exeter Cathedral on February the 15th, he placed a 20 pound in a donation box before stripping off in front of worshippers. He struck the woman, causing her to fall and break her wrist as she posed for a picture with her grandchildren. Now, I'll tell you this, that is not how you give it all to God. (laughs) You don't do it that way. So let's go to Joshua chapter 13. Joshua 13. If you've got your iPad, your Kindle, your tablet of stone, whatever you use. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Let's read it one more time. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, And the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Do you know, I... I'm at the wrong page. (laughs) Do you know, I'm, I'm amazed at this scripture we just read, right? This guy Joshua would probably be about 90 years old, right? 90 years old. If you were to do your math on the previous chapter, you could count up that Joshua has slain 31 kings of foreign lands as he marches in to possess the land of promise. He's a a seasoned campaigner on the battlefield. He's, He's overcome army after army after army. 31 times he's done it. And here he is at 90. He's got his bus pass. He's got his Mediterranean cruise booked. Right? Mrs. Joshua's just had her blue rinse done again because her man is coming back for good. And all of a sudden, God steps into Joshua's world and says, Look, I know you're old, but here's my problem, Joshua. There still remains very much land yet to be possessed. And I want to encourage us today that, that our Christianity is all about and has got everything to do with possessing the land of promise. We don't go and evade you know, or possess natural land, but we've got a heavenly Canaan. We've got promises for healing, for finance, for, for every situation in life. And God expects us to lay hold of them. God expects us to possess. As Pastor Cheryl was saying, you know, to move out of the valley. You know, to take more land in your lifetime, spiritual land. 
And I think if there's one problem that we have as Christians is that we tend to settle for victories already won. You know, well, well, way back in 1902, God blessed me with a fiver. (laughs) No, no, no. God is a current up to date. He's a now God. Faith is now. And God wants us to march in and he wants us to sharpen our faith and lay hold of more of these promises of God. Everything that Jesus did through his death, burial, resurrection was for me. He came to give us life. He, came, he did not come to diminish life. Jesus is not a party pooper, right? Jesus wants to bless. And everything he did at the cross was for my benefit. He was wounded that I might be healed. He was made sin that I might be made righteous. And the promises of God are huge. They're immense. But we can settle back for victories already won. Do you know, for the last 15 years, once a year, over three weeks, I park my bottom on my big comfy leather sofa and I watch the Six Nations Rugby. And I usually start off with faith. This is the year that Scotland will win. (laughs) Why are you laughing? (laughs) And I look at it. And I I think, for 15 years I've watched this. And I don't know how many have watched the, the Six Nations every now and then. There's a little Welsh commentator, isn't there, on the BBC. I forget his name. But he used to play. Well, who is he? Jonathan Davis. Yeah. And I'm not going to try a Welsh accent because it will just sound Indian. <laughs> right? But I know this. I, I don't know much about rugby other than I enjoy watching it. But I understand maybe 10% of the rules, right? But this is what I do know from J- Jonathan Davies. Davis. This is what I do know after 15 years that rugby is everything and it's all about possession. It's all about possession. You know, every at halftime they beam up the stats and usually the team that's got the most possession wins the game. Yes? Now just get this thought. Get this hold of this thought. If the Holy Ghost could beam up the stats of my Christianity, how much possession would I have? How much possession would I have? Would I be camped on the enemy's touchline? Or would I be back playing a defensive game? You see, we can just settle back for victories already won. Would you be really kind and help me out this morning and just turn to someone and say, Man, you are looking good while I find my notes. And do you know what? I am really, really, really hoping that I did not lift the wrong folder this morning. Look, just turn to the other person's sake. Come on, John, what are you doing here? Do you know, it's not looking good, is it? Kevin, I am so embarrassed here. I've got lots of messages in here. I've got them. So, there we go. So, 
Rugby's all about possession. Your Christianity's all about possession. Now think about it. God expected Joshua. He expected him to cancel the Mediterranean cruise, wave goodbye to his wife again, and go and possess more land. And if you, if you were to read verse 2 all the way to the end of chapter 13, God outlines all the land yet to be possessed. And I reckon if you're like me, there's still a whole lot of land that we have got to possess in our personal life, our financial life, our church life, our national life, our city life, our town life. Yes? So I want to look at five things quickly today that um, we need to have in our life happening on a regular basis if we're going to position ourselves to possess more of the promised land. And the first one I've written down here is a quality called wholeheartedness. Wholeheartedness. You know, when I read the book of Kings, I find again and again this phrase, King so-and-so served the Lord, but not with a whole heart. King so-and-so served the Lord, but not with a whole heart. And I, and I think that, you know, the opposite of wholeheartedness, yeah, come on, it's not really half-heartedness. Well, it is, but it's not. I reckon the opposite of wholeheartedness is compromise. And there's so much compromise in 21st century life. There's so many temptations come against Christians to compromise. You know, the devil loves compromise. That's his playground. He loves to get people to compromise. Do you know, there's, there's a couple of stories in the book of Samuel where... Um, there was this enemy king called Nahash, and I'm going to refrain from my joke. <laughs> Does anyone remember? <laughs> Every time I mention that, I think, man, I did a silly joke. Don't do it again. <laughs> anyway, there was this king called Nahash. <laughs> well, come on, I did go to a party once, and there was Nahash. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, where was I? <laughs> Nahash. And Nahash came to the children of Israel and said, look, you know, let's compromise here. Let's, let's make a little league. Let's get into a little covenant agreement together here. And the children of Israel didn't want to get bullied and intimidated and beaten up by the Philistines. And so they said, yeah. Well, and then Nahash said, this is the condition of our little agreement here. And the condition was this, is that the enemy could come and pluck out the right eye of all the children of Israel. And the right eye was the fighting eye. Yeah? The right eye was the battle eye. It was the fighting eye. So the enemy's little agreement was to take away the fighting ability of the children of Israel. And when we compromise, our fighting ability is taken away. Our ability to possess the promises of God is taken away from us. There's another example in Samuel where Saul's just had the kingdom rent from him because of his stupidity and his disobedience. And the situation was this, that the Philistines, or the, is it the Philistines or the Philippines? <laughs> too much, too much um, Googling of travel holidays. <laughs> Philistines, isn't it? Right, yeah, good. The Philistines got the upper hand. And this is what they said. This is what the Bible says. It says, during that time in Israel's life, there was no blacksmith in the land. There was no forger in the land. Not, not making forging money. I mean forging metal. See, the blacksmith made the swords. And the Philistines said, we'll take away all your blacksmiths 
so that they cannot make swords. In other words, they took away again the fighting ability of the children of Israel. And the children of Israel, because of compromise, they had to go to the Philistines to get their plows sharpened and their sickles sharpened for the harvest. See, I ask myself this a lot, living down in air. Kevin said, uh, born in Scotland, went to Melbourne, back to Scotland. I nearly yelled out, back to Melbourne, please, Jesus. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But have you lost your fighting ability? Have I lost my fighting ability? Because it takes fight to get the promise. It takes fight to enter the promised land. It takes get up and go. It takes a bit of stamina in the Holy Ghost to go after a promise. I found this in my life, that every promise I receive immediately or sooner becomes promise tested. And that's why the Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. Think about Abraham. Think about Isaac and Jacob. They had these incredible promises from God that their seed was going to be as the sand and as the stars in multiplicity. And yet each of their wives was barren. That was the promise tested. And they had to stay in faith and not be moved away from the hope of the promise. And that's why Paul wrote in his letters, he says, don't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. There's many things that want to move us off track, want to move us off from the the focus of laying hold of the promises of God. Does that make sense? You're preaching quite good, John, for a guy that got in a mini at 20 to 7 this morning. Right. Wholeheartedness. Let me illustrate. I bet you've never heard this before. I've searched high and low for stories. Do you know, I've got this saying that I milk many cows, but I churn my own butter. Listen to this. He's all right. One day, a hunter, this is about compromise. One day a hunter came across a bear in the woods. I want a full stomach, said the bear. I want a fur coat, said the hunter. Let's compromise, suggested the bear, and promptly ate the man. As a result, the bear went away with a full stomach, and the man went away wrapped in fur. (laughs) Stupid story. But it illustrates my point. You compromise, you get eaten. You compromise, you get gobbled up by the enemy. You get intimidated, and intimidation paralyzes you into total inactivity. You see the promised land, but you don't, you're, you're paralyzed. You, you don't want to go there. So wholeheartedness is the first thing that we need. Oh, my goodness, have I run out of notes already? No. Wholeheartedness. patience we need patience to possess the land think about this two guys Joshua and Caleb and you know all those years ago they saw their land they saw Caleb said I saw my mountain I saw the land I saw my mountain and then they're marching around the wilderness waiting for the last one of that miserable generation to cark it right (laughs) I reckon, I reckon if it was like the last four or five, I reckon, come on, Caleb, let's rip into them. <laughs> and so they see it, but it takes patience. It takes 40 long years of endurance. 
And Caleb comes round after 40 years and he sees the same mountain. And he says, give me this mountain. Give me this mountain. See, can I ask you, how's your patience today? Patience is not waiting for a bus. Patience is not some passive resignation to, you know, bad circumstance. Patience is a positive steadfastness that bravely endures through thick and thin. Patience will carry you through. The Bible says in Hebrews, through faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. Patience. Have you ever had to be patient? Goodness me, patience helps you through delays. It helps you through disappointments. It helps you through disillusionment. I think I've told oh, so many stories from my catalog of, story, catalog of stories. But I, I was sharing with someone the other week there about, they were saying, oh, I don't know if this girl's right for me. And I said, well, look, this is my story, mate, if it helps you. I was madly, I still am madly in love with Rachel. That's my wife. <laughs> 25 years um, we celebrated at the end of April there. That's, that's a marathon, isn't it? 25 years? Goodness me. <laughs> but you know, it wasn't, all, it wasn't always like that. I remember one day I, I took half a day off work. This is when I was trying to impress her. And I took half a day off work to go into the city of Melbourne to stand in this incredibly long queue to get tickets for the Moscow Circus. And um, the big night comes and I surprise Rachel. I show up on the door. Well, I told her, you know, be prepared to go out. And I show up on the door and I knock on the door and she looks at me and says, what have you done to your hair? I don't like what you're wearing. And being Mr. Sanctified Man, I said, well, your hair ain't that good either. (laughs) And what on earth is that you're wearing? So we agreed to disagree. We got in the car and we're driving to the Moscow Circus in the heart of Melbourne. And if you know Melbourne, it's got tram lines. And she's like, you know, I could never respect you as a husband. All this, I'll use two big words. Is that all right? I I use these words for one of my girls at home. She she doesn't work out what I'm saying. I say, stop your vitriolic diatribe. And Rachel was giving me vitriolic diatribe. And I just lifted my hands off the steering wheel, still going at 30 miles an hour. And I said, God, why do I get all the nutty women? And once we were married, I asked her mum. I said, what was she like when she came home that night? And she said, John, you know, she was really quite angry. She said, I said, how was your night? And Rachel said back to me, I hope he's crashed and burned on the way home. <laughs> but that brought, that brought a delay. <laughs> that brought a delay into the proceedings of courting this woman I was really in love with. Six months delay. Was God saying no? No, he wasn't. He was saying yes, but he was just saying, John, for goodness sake, grow up some. See, patience is what you need. Patience is what what I need. That's why James could say, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, temptations, knowing this, that the trial of your faith works what? Patience. 
and let patience, allow patience to have a perfect work that you may be mature, lacking nothing. We need patience. Is this, how am I doing, Kevin? I think I've, what have I said so far? Wholeheartedness, patience, courage. Pastor Cheryl was talking about bravery, courage. Do you know, we need bucket loads of this stuff. Bucket loads. It takes absolute courage to stand as a Christian in 21st century Britain. Where everyone's crying out, be tolerant, be tolerant, be tolerant about everything except your intolerance. We need courage. You know, Billy Graham said this, when a man or a woman of courage makes a stand, the spines of those around him stiffen. I love that. Muhammad Ali said this, that without courage, you'll never take risks. And without risk, you'll never really taste life. You know, I asked myself the other day, when was the last time I took a risk? Well, your daughter's getting married. (laughs) No, that'll be fine. I'll be all right. Four times in Joshua chapter 1, God says a commandment to Joshua. He says, this is my commandment, not a suggestion. He says, I command you, Joshua, to be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do you know, I said to my church, I think it was last week. I said, come on, we really need to feed our faith and starve our fears. A few years ago, um, I went to see my really old 93-year-old Aunt Margaret who was dying. And I'm over there in the nursing home. And I I, uh, didn't recognize her, but this lady came in and said, Hi, John. Took me a while, but I worked it out. It's my cousin. (laughs) Hadn't seen her for 25 years. And um, she sits down and we talk about Aunt Margaret. And then she says, "Do Do you know that most of the men in your side of the family die of prostate cancer? And I'm thinking come on, encourage me more. (laughs) Have you got another kind word? (laughs) And I go home, and I'm I'm reading articles, I'm Googling, (sighs) prostate cancer. And I, I discovered this pretty quick, that blueberries and the skin of fried, gently fried cherry tomatoes contain something that resists cancer in the prostate so the next (laughs) shopping trip to Tesco (laughs) my other place of worship (laughs) it just looks like a blueberry (laughs) it's full of blueberries and I'm eating all these blueberries and I know the Holy Ghost said this to me what's motivating you What's motivating you? Fear. 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 It's it's, it's funny how it sneaks up on us, isn't it? Fear. You're going to lose your feet. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're not. See, I, I can tell some of you are really thinking. You're really thinking. You know what, John? I agree with you. I'm, I've been in fear. I've been in fear. 
about my job. I've been in fear about my house. I've been in fear about this relationship. I've been in fear about trusting again. You know, it takes courage, it takes courage to master your fears. And that's why we need to go to the God of all courage and let the God of all courage fill us. David said, the psalmist, he said, I sought the Lord and he delivered me from what? 50% of my fears. He left me with the prostate one. Now, David said, I sought him and he delivered me from all 100% of fear that was tapping the buttons in my heart. So we need courage. Courage is birthed from the awareness that God is with me. Two little, this is a little side trip, right up courage here. Just a little side note there on my notes. Share it with you. Two areas. We need courage to change, yes? And we need courage to fight. Courage to change. I, I think one of the, the biggest times that I have mustered courage in my life was, um, I, I've forgotten, do you know how I've actually forgotten how long I've been saved? I think it was 1986 I got saved. That was like, goodness, dinosaurs lived then. <laughs> but, I'm, I'm, I mean, you've got to understand, I, I, work, I went to primary school in Australia with, the, with these two guys. I went all through high school with these two guys. The three of us were just best mates, right? And then I worked with these two guys for the best part of 12 years. And I got saved, radically born again. I mean, it was so, it was so weird. It was like one weekend, I'm down the pub Thursday, Friday, Saturday, helping the publican, the, the man who owns the pub, pay it off. <laughs> I'm here again I'll help you and you know if it wasn't down the pub it was substance abuse of various things and that was one weekend and somewhere I got saved and then the next weekend I remember it distinctly on a Friday I'm in my little VW fastback my, my Bob, Bob's in the, the passenger seat. Dave's in the back. Hey, it's Friday. What are we doing tonight? We going down the pub? We going down the pub? We going down the pub? And everything in me was like, am I going down the pub? <laughs> and then courage lifted off. Courage came. And I just said to them at the traffic light, I can still remember the intersection of Canterbury Road and Bayswater Road. <laughs> And I just said to them in the car, I said, guys, I'm finished with that. I'm making a break from that kind of lifestyle. And one of them said, it sounds like you've become one of those weird born-again Christians, mate. <laughs> and I said, I have. I've accepted Jesus as my saviour. Oh, you're off your head. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. But that took bucket loads of courage. But you know what it did? It, it, it drew a line in the sand. It put a marker down. And I think sometimes we need to put markers down and say, this is what I stand for. This is what I believe. You know, all these, all these liberal theologians today, well, you know, don't know about the virgin birth. Man, if we throw out the virgin birth, what do we got? We got nothing. 
We might as well all go down the pub and help him pay off his mortgage. (laughs) At least I'm enjoying myself. (laughs) Why would you do this? Why would you do this if you didn't enjoy it? You got to enjoy it. I don't know about you, Kevin, Cheryl, but do you find every now and then that a sermon comes back to haunt you? He <laughs> <laughs> comes knocking at your bed some nights going, did you really act that way? <laughs> right, number five, we're in the home straight. We're just about there. Well, we're in trouble. <laughs> Hey, I missed the John Wayne quote. I've just found it. John Wayne said this. And I'm just interested. I'm just interested. See, if you're under 16, probably put your hand up if you're under 16. 16 and under. Can I ask you straight up, straight up, be brutally honest with this pastor smiley here from here. Do you know who John Wayne is? I'm grieving in spirit. (laughs) One of the greatest cowboys that ever lived. I don't mean he was a cowboy joiner or... John Wayne. Have we heard of John Wayne in Aberdeen? Yeah. Remember that one? He didn't wear glasses in the film. Remember that one? I'm not going to hit you. I'm not going to hit you. Hell, I'm not. <laughs> so good. I'm getting counselled. No, I'm, I'm just joking with you, right? I'm get, I feel sometimes I need to go and get counselling because, oh, you know, just don't you love some violent films? <laughs> See that movie Gladiator? I never get sick of watching it. You know, it's, so, it's jam-packed with truth. Man, he's, Russell Crowe's there and he's like, they're in the big arena. Whatever comes out those gates, we've got more chance if we stick together. And I've preached on it. Whatever comes out of the gates of hell, we've got more chance if we stick together. John Wayne. Courage, this is what he said, by the way. Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. Scared to death, but doing something. Right, it is five. It's got to be. The fifth quality we need to possess. Hey. It can't be four. The fifth quality that we need to possess the land is the quality of ownership. 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 Let's say it together. Ownership. And what I mean by that is this, is that it's not, a, it, it's not enough to admire the promised land. You've got to own it. It's not enough to admire the vision of your local church. You've got to own it. And the story that I love is, is in the Old Testament, and it, sp- it speaks about David and a guy called Eleazar. And one day, 
the children of Israel there, there and they're on this piece of land and they see the, the Philippines come. <laughs> they see the Philistines coming and they look really, really ferocious this day, right? They've all got their war paint on and everything, right? Really looking ugly. So the children of Israel, they just tail it, man. They, they just, in Australia, they nick off quick, right? And two guys are left, David and Eliezer. And the Bible says that all day they fought the Philistines. And Eliezer fought so hard that his sword actually welded to his hand. Incredible, eh? Man, that's like science fiction, isn't it? can't get this thing off <laughs> can you imagine him at breakfast the next morning <laughs> but it does have benefits how many slices of bread <laughs> do you want the top off your ostrich egg <laughs> Come on. I'm just playing I wonder, I bet you there's no reward in heaven for playing. <laughs> where, come on, where was I? Eliezer. It stuck to his hand. Now, why did, they, why did they stick it out when everyone else left? Why did they stick it out? You saw the same blokes with all the war paint on coming. What made them stick? You see, they were guarding something. They were guarding something called a lentil patch. <laughs> when I read that, I thought... Man, I would have tailed it as well. A lentil patch. Man, if it was a gold patch. But it was lentils. I don't know if it was poi lentils or green lentils. I don't know. But it was lentils. But the reason they stayed was because they owned it. Do you know why I've stayed 25 years marriage? Because I've owned it. Do you know why I've got four kids? Oh, we won't go there. Come on, you're such good people. What an awesome church. Every time I come here, I just want to go home and quit the ministry. I have to deal, you know, I'm just like you. I have to deal with thoughts. I'm standing here during the worship. Heidi's just leading phenomenal worship. Looking at these guitar players and their coveted Vox amps. And I just thought, oh, goodness me, John, what's the point? <laughs> but there is a point. I'm not quite sure what it is. <laughs> Come on, I'm done now. Come on. You've got to get wholehearted if you're not already. You've got to get some patience if you don't have it already. We've got to get some courage happening in our life. How many is that? Three. And what was that one? <laughs> Ownership. That is four, isn't it? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Four's enough. <laughs> was never real good at fivers. <laughs> oh, Jesus, we love you. We love you. 
you know, I just prayed in the car on the way up. I, I said, Jesus, if I do one thing, can I at least encourage one person? <laughs> can I encourage one person? If that's you. <laughs> I better stop. <laughs> I better stop before the silly anointing <laughs> comes over me. Where are you going? <laughs> You did that last time. <laughs> Kevin, maybe you could pray. 